Support for this podcast has been provided by Alliance Bernstein Investment Management and Research, making money meaningful. I would be getting all of these calls. So how do I do that? How do I order tickets online? How do I do this on the web? How do I do that? My, my computer is broken. How do I fix it? And it came to me that instead of having to call somebody, have like the resident geek, the resident family geek, maybe the web application could provide such guidance as to how to use it. This is Startup Stories from the Startup Nation. My name is Yigal Marcus. Thank you for joining us. In this podcast, we'll meet the entrepreneurs who have personified the economic miracle known as the Startup Nation, the State of Israel. We'll learn about the culture which helped incubate them and their ideas. We'll learn of their successes and of course their failures. And we'll explore why it is that Israel develops some of the leading innovators of our time. In a great scene from a movie called Office Space, a few colleagues team up to take their fax machine to an empty field with bat in hand and proceed to utterly destroy it. In one of the funniest scenes in that movie, they smash the fax machine to smithereens. Now, we've all been there. How many of us at some point wanted to throw our computers out of our windows simply because it wasn't working to our expectations. According to E. Horace, computer stress is actually a thing. It's an official condition when someone feels the anxiety and nervousness when their computer doesn't work as expected. Computer stress can actually cause medical problems, and there have actually been documented cases of heart attacks triggered by computer stress. Here's the story of a self-proclaimed computer geek who, after being constantly called upon to solve computer problems that others were experiencing, decided to do something about it. He conceived of a company called Iridize, a leading enterprise platform for personalized and contextual user onboarding and training. Put much more simply, Iridize sought to automate the process of helping people use their computers and the software on it. A few years in, the computer pivoted and refocused on employee training. Now, as it began growing more rapidly, Oracle stepped in and bought the company. Now, employee training is a huge global business. On average, employees are cost $1,800 to be trained. So the ability to onboard and properly train new employees efficiently has the potential to save a lot of money for companies all over the world. This is the story of how the solution Iridize offers and the vision of its founder is helping com- companies lower training costs and increase employee productivity all over the world. We're here today with Eyal Levinson, the uh, co-founder and CEO of a company called Iridize, which was recently purchased by Oracle. So first of all, Eyal, thank you very much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. I know you're busy. My pleasure. Thank so, you for having me. Let's start a little bit about, about you and where you grew up and, and uh, a little bit about your, your, your past. Okay. Well, I was born in Jerusalem. And uh, then I moved uh, when I think when I was 
four years old, I moved to a kibbutz. Which uh, one is that? Givata Shlosha. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, I think... I think it has to do with my father, not uh, like, yeah, my father switched jobs. So he moved from, he was working for the uh, Israeli television and then as an engineer. And then he went to uh, work for uh, um, like myself, work for the, uh, like, uh, what's the, I don't know the name for it now. The the Shabak. I'm not sure if you can. Uh, sure, add it's that it's the, like uh, Israeli. Uh, I think you can say that now because he's well retired by now. Right. So NSA. It, you know, it's the Israeli version of of the national uh, the NSA. Something like that, yeah. Or okay. the FBI, maybe. Pretty much same thing. Yeah. In America, all these organizations <laughs> are so you know. Um, so you actually grew up on a kibbutz for yeah, the better so part? Not, not for a long time, because when I was supposed to go to first grade, there weren't enough kids there. Okay. So we moved to an, yet another place uh, called Kochavir, which is where I spent most of my like childhood. And uh, Now, you're, you're a second-generation uh, Sabra, Israeli-born, or how long has your family been in the country? My mother was born in Israel, my father was not. Where was your father born? In Poland, all of my grandparents are Holocaust survivors, so, yeah. And he moved here? When he was two years old, something like that. Shortly after the war, I imagine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you grew up in Kochav Yair, um, which is not a kibbutz, so, you know, kibbutz <laughs> life is very different. You know, my, my listeners will know that I had done a an interview um, a few months ago with the one of the founders of Netafim. Ah, okay. And Netafim was founded on kibbutz Chatzerim, and this past Sunday... Uh, as uh, as Nati Barak promised, uh, he said that he'd host me and my family. So we actually went to Kibbutz Chatzirim uh, near Be'er Sheva, and we saw what was you know Kibbutz life, which is very different, in many ways, you know, wonderful, and yeah. in many ways just very different than than you know I'm a capitalist. <laughs> yeah. um, but but life there was was. Do you remember it much as a child? Not I really. was I was a kid. So uh, for me, it was fun, you know, because there is really no, like, you have, don't have to worry about it. You just go out of your house and do whatever you want. And there is a pool that you can go in whenever you want to. And so it's like free, free, free stuff for every, like, free stuff as a kid for to do everything, anything you want. Um, that's what I remember, which was a good thing. Uh, as, uh, I haven't lived as a grown-up in a kibbutz, but I think it's too much. Uh, it wouldn't be my cup of tea because, like, especially when you start like, companies and you know, yeah, it's one big <laughs> commune. Everybody has to know everything, so it's like everybody, everybody is into everybody's business, and I'm, I'm not sure I'm up with that. So, understood. <laughs> <laughs> when did you first realize that technology, which is ultimately the business that you're in, when did you realize that? That's pretty cool, and, and, and get into it and begin to uh, study and, and pursue it. So when we moved to Kuchav Yair, I remember getting my father getting a, a, my father getting a Apple IIc, which was this like very old machine. I that, had one. Really? <laughs> yeah, I did. And the, so loved you, it. You had like a small TV that's connected to this big keyboard, and the, right. uh, all of the uh, all of the computer was inside the keyboard. Right. 
And I uh, remember playing with it, like these uh, silly games and uh, enjoying it and taking out these, there was this box for disquettes that you have to Right, these like, floppy disks. Yeah, like these I remember that. Five, 5.12, I think. It was, they were pretty big and you take them out and in the middle of the game you have to switch them in order to proceed and all of this stuff. So that was my first interaction with uh, computers. And then... It was fun and I kept playing and uh, I didn't I didn't get to that but from Kochavier when I was when I turned I think yeah after my bar mitzvah just after my bar mitzvah we moved to the states my father had uh, like uh, was uh, sent to f- three years which became four when we were just about to leave all of the I remember the house being packed, everything in boxes, and I really had nothing to do. And uh, my father did his PhD there. So is, that what, is that where he went? No, he went as part of work, but he did his PhD while, while, while being there. And uh, I remember there was a, a book about uh, C++ lying around. And the computer was always on because he had to work on his PhD. And it was the time that we had the internet also. It started, this was, I think, 95. So the internet started to pick up. So you were pretty much 16 years old, right? It was, it was 17. 17 years old. Um, and you picked up his book on C++. Yeah, and Sounds just, like exciting reading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I just started reading and, uh, and it got on, I guess. So... Uh, after that, I decided to study. So when we came back, I went to the university to study math and computer science. Before the army? Before the army, yeah. So this is Atida? Yes. Got it. Also, I was 17. So in order to enlist, I was like, I had one more year to, like, nobody would enlist you when you're 17. So I had one year to spare. So I could either go to work or go to, go to study. So you finished high school in America? Yes. Got it. Okay. Yes. So you finished early. Yeah. They have this, it's, I guess it's kind of like the States the, in Israel where you have these, the Bagrut and you have points. And if you get, actually it's more like a university. You get to like, if you finish enough points, you can graduate. So most of the Israelis that I studied with did that. So it's. Okay. It's not that. So you came back, you had a year off. You, so instead of going to the army, you went to this Atudah program, which is, um, f- for my listeners, the ability to go to university before you serve, learn an expertise, come back to the army, army pays for it, comes, comes back to the army, and then you have to devote five years? So first of all, when I did it, the army didn't pay for anything. Oh. They just... They, Bummer. They, now they do, by the way. You need to learn how to negotiate. <laughs> <laughs> now they do, by the way. Um, it was just so everything, as you said, was right. And um, the program was that you study during the year. And between the semesters, you would go to the army and do your... like your. Uh, how do you say it? You're a note in English? I'm not even sure. Your service. No, but it's just like the Tironut where you enlist and they teach you how to be a soldier. And basic then, training. Yeah, basic training. Got and it. then uh, the next year they, you go to another course. And then after three years of when you finish your degree, you enlist into the army. And then you have to do three years of uh, like 
like everybody else, three years of Sadir. I'm not sure what the translation for that would be. And then you have three more years uh, as uh, uh, Keva, okay. which would be like your... Your regular. So, so every Israeli soldier does three years and we had to do another three years. Uh, the upside is that in those other three years, you get like a better salary or uh, you go through an officer's course and you're a captain now. And so you get a decent salary, not a high tech salary, but something decent, you know, as opposed to the 300 shekels that I got as uh, like uh, soldiers in the first three years. That's about $80 a month. Yeah. <laughs> you're rich, man. You're really rich. Um, but so you went to the army. Did you know that you would be going into that kind of technology unit or actually it's funny I, I didn't when you finish your studies you you start to get these interviews for uh, army units that want to recruit you and uh, obviously I ended up in Shimon time but uh, this is not what I wanted so I interviewed with them I obviously passed the interview but there was another another unit that I felt much more excited about something in an artillery. I don't know. I was You soldier. wanted to be a combat soldier? No, it was like uh, algorithms development for this for the art, for an artillery unit. I'm not even sure what they're doing. It was just what they told me in this interview. It sounded more cool. And Are you insane? <laughs> you have the opportunity to get into it. unit 8200, the premier intelligence unit in the IDF. <laughs> And you'd rather figure out how to shoot artillery shells with algorithms. So, yeah, I was stupid back then, but uh, <laughs> it sounded cool at the time. It was a small unit, but obviously Shmonima time had, had much more leverage and they decided that I should have a better future in over intelligence. Yeah. yeah. Got it. So you served in, in this elite intelligence unit, um, 8200, and you actually uh, eventually became a, an R&D team leader in, the, in that unit. And ultimately, you became the head of that team. Yeah. Tell me about that experience. So you, you, your job as an R&D team leader was to do what? Without getting into anything top yeah. secret. So I guess the entire atmosphere and the entire purpose of, uh, of Shmonima Time and why I think it's such a good experience for an entrepreneur is that in the end you have to face problems that nobody faced before you and you need to solve them. So as, as a team leader, I would be getting these problems. Okay. <laughs> we, we need to do this. I mean, there is a problem with that and I have to sit with my team and find, find a programmatic solution for these problems. And uh, nobody would ever tell me what technology to use. Nobody would ever tell me if I write good or bad code. It was just about getting out the intelligence from this problem, right? So, uh, and I think that this is the answer of entrepreneurship, right? Nobody tells you how to do things. They just tell you... Get it done. Yeah, and uh, that's what we did. So uh, a lot of... And, and I moved, And I moved between a lot of... Places I think I had in those six years. Six years I think I had around six roles in the army. So developer, then team leader, then team leader in another group, then team leader in another group, and then I was working for 
So normally you would have, at least historically, you had like the, the division that develops the, the software and you have the division that actually, you know, they know Arabic, they know, they know the intelligence the domain and they extract like relevant intelligence from them. So I even had a period where I was part of the intelligence part. So yeah, it's, it's just, I guess it's just about having to tackle a lot of hard life problems and not knowing what the solution would be to those problems and uh, having enough self-confidence, which is a great for building that in, in the army to to know that you will be able to solve these problems if you put enough effort into it. So, When you become a team leader, you're kind of forced to become a manager. Yeah. Which ultimately, when you started Iridize, you were very, very forced to become a manager of a lot yeah. of people. So tell me a little bit about what you learned for the, when you first started managing people in the army. I think I learned that you need to give people space I think I learned that uh, no, not everybody is going to do the things the way you're going to do them and you need to allow them to do things their way. I think I learned a lesson in patience because uh, <laughs> I, 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 would always, I would always envision how I would do things and if they're not done my way and not as quickly as, as I think I would have done that, I, I, would, I had to learn to, okay, give that person some more time. Let's see what they come up with. And, and normally it would pay it off because all, like everybody I worked, I ever worked with in the army were very smart people and they always would come up with ideas as good as mine. So that, that's, that's, that's a good lesson, I think. And you were just a couple of years older than probably the people that you managed. Uh, at the beginning, yes. At the beginning, yes. It's always a difficult dynamic, right? It's always... Yeah, but I think that until today, I don't manage by authority. I really manage by, like, as a peer. So I would never tell somebody to do something because I said so. I can tell that in, like, in all of my experience, I've never done this once. It's always about having a conversation, convincing whoever you need to convince or being convinced that this is the right way to do things and and then doing them. And when you come with this approach, I think that authority and rank this doesn't really play, play, an, play a role in, this, in the discussion. After your experience in the army, you, you left and you became a programmer at a company that my listeners know well, ZoomInfo, uh, Jonathan Stern's company. What did you okay. do there? So when I left, I left the army after seven years, by the way, so I added another year on top of the six, just because I really liked it and I felt that was, I don't know, it was good for me. And when I left, I joined this uh, startup company called ZoomInfo, which, uh, as, as you mentioned, uh, Jonathan was the CEO of, and um, I was their first recruit in Israel. So ZoomInfo was a Boston-based company, and I think that Jonathan, for his patriotic reasons, uh, wanted to bring it back to Israel. Well, not bring everything to Israel, but create some presence in Israel in the form of uh, an R&D department. And I was the first um, recruit in Israel. And uh, yeah, I started working for the company. I really enjoyed the... Uh, at the time, we were head-to-head -head with LinkedIn. I remember that. 
and uh, we 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 did things differently. Uh, for for a programmer, I think what we did was more interesting because we had to uh, like build artificially build p- profiles for people as opposed to the LinkedIn way, which was all user generated. So I think that from a like from an R and D perspective, it's much more exciting. And uh, I joined the R&D department of ZoomInfo in Israel. Um, I, I don't remember the structure, but I do remember that uh, at, like when I left ZoomInfo, and if you want, we can talk about that too. When I left ZoomInfo, we were, I think, six people in Israel. There was like the obviously Jonathan, there was the office administrator, there was a product manager, uh, which I had uh, tried to work on a startup with after Zoom Info immediately, and it wasn't that successful. And uh, we were four developers, uh, which I, I, at the end, I led these four developers as well as I think two or three developers in, in Boston working on the algorithms that would build these profiles. Uh, it was a great experience. And uh, yeah, I kept in touch with Jonathan and uh, we're still, we live, we're neighbors right now. So uh, we still bump into one another every once in a while. Nice. And then you went on to RSA, which is yeah. the security division of, of EMC. And you were there for about almost five years. And, uh, and there you also were a software engineer? So similarly, like ZoomInfo, I started as an engineer and became a group leader. Uh, it's a recurring, uh, recurring theme. Um, yeah, I, so when I left ZoomInfo, I felt that I wanted to experience like um, more of a corporate uh, company like a bigger bigger company to see what what it would feel like to see what uh, if I f- could fit in um, to see the culture and to yeah to experience something else um, and I joined RSA as a software engineer I mean I joined it as RSA but it was just just before I joined it was acquired by RSA it was the, the company was called Sayota it's the company that Naftali Bennett uh, headed and became uh, rich from uh, Naftali Bennett's a member of Knesset actually a former member of Knesset Yes, yeah, so the, the product was uh, for uh, anti fraud for online banking so you would, at least the product that I worked for, uh, you would, so when you log into your bank account, if you are doing something that's uh, not in the normal things that you would normally do, then a pop-up message would come up and ask you to um, provide your credentials, like provide a one-time password or something like that. Uh, you would get an SMS or something like that. And I was working on the, in the end, I was working on the artificial intelligence piece that decided whether to show you this pop-up or not. So figure out whether what you're doing is in line with what you're normally doing or not. Did that plant the seeds for Iridize? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe... I think it planted the seed for me wanting to do something on my own. Okay. Because um, 
things seemed to move very slowly when I was in RSA. And I, I remember having these discussions with my wife, Michal, about why are things happening this way? Why is this like that? And, you know, these bureaucrat having problems with bureaucracy, I would say. And I think that I always wanted to do something on my own. And when the idea came as I was working in RSA, I said, okay, I'm... I, I tried the corporate piece. I'm not fitting in, at least not into this one. And let's try something new. When did you think of the idea for Eridice? Obviously, I'm the family geek, right? So I'm the... the pers- Clearly. I'm, I'm the person in the family that knows computers, that people call if they have a question about computers. And I'm talking the extended family, right? So uncles and my grandmother who WhatsApp, does WhatsApp, by the way, still. Wow. That's impressive. That's impressive. And uh, yeah, she's 90 now, more than 90. So I, I, will, I will be getting all of these calls. So how do I do that? How do I order tickets online? How do I do this on the web? How do I do that? My, my computer is broken. How do I fix it? And it came to me that instead of having to call somebody, have like the resident geek, the resident family geek, maybe the web application could provide such guidance as to how to use it. And this is where the idea from Iridize came from. So you can say that I have to thank my grandmother or something like that. 90 years old. (laughs) Love it. Does she do those GIFs on on WhatsApp? Because that's impressive. (laughs) You got to teach her, man. Come on. (laughs) when When you work for a big company and you decide to make the jump from security of a salary, a good company, job and you jump into the world of being an entrepreneur, it's a huge jump. Yeah. What enabled you to make that jump? Because the risk level, I imagine, and, and the stress. So uh, two things. Uh, well, probably one thing. The second one is a joke. The one thing would be my wife, Michal. Okay. Uh, she encouraged you. Yeah. And uh, also I had her back. So she was working on a good job and uh, we know that we can make it and the second one as a joke would be my severance pay so but it's just a joke <laughs> right <laughs> it helps it helps but it does help because I was I had a lot of uh, time in RSA so it gave me I think five or six months of something that I can play with what did you do to vet the idea to, to check you know is this something that companies would pay for first of all the idea made sense to me so what I did with my co-founder was to build a prototype, okay? And uh, then with that prototype, we went through, we went, obviously we used our network in Israel and we went to companies and tried to ask them what they feel about it, how they feel about it. And this is how we started. This is how we vetted the idea. Um, you can also say that some, at some point along the way, a small company uh, joke, Walk Me, came along right. and uh, vetted the idea for us. Right. Uh, Walk Me is a pretty big competitor, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they were, our, I, I, I guess, we were their f- top competitor. Obviously, they were a much bigger company uh, with much bigger investment. Uh, I think it's more than $2 million by now. And... Um, Two billion. No, two million, 200 million. More 200 than million. $200 million dollars of investment. I'm not, I don't know what they're worth right now, but 
I'm pretty sure about that number. And so that, that did part of the vetting too. I mean, obviously, if somebody's uh, getting so much traction and so much investment at that time, they just beat. I think that I don't remember the dates. I'm very bad with that. But I think that four months after we, we started working on this uh, prototype that we would want to present to people, they came up with this big inv- their first big investment. And um, at the beginning, we were kind of bummed about it because if they got so much money, how can we uh, succeed? But I think that we were smart enough to realize that it's a good indication that we're doing something right and we decided to push on. Did you ever get a, uh, a response from somebody that says, uh, walk me is doing this, don't, don't bother? Uh, yes, from at the time when we started, when we tried to uh, get investments, it was a recurring theme. What uh, made you continue to build this? Because it would have been easy to say, you know what, it's not, you know, we've got competition. It's not necessarily an original idea. Uh, let Walk Me grab the market and let's go d- d- do something else. What made you say, you know what, I think I can do something either different or better, making it worthwhile for you to continue? I'm not sure. I guess I just believe that we can do it and that there is not, I mean, in the B2B space, there is, it's, there, it's not a one, like, normally there are more than, in the B2B space, there are more than one company that does something. I mean, unlike you can say that Google is the only search engine and uh, Facebook is the only social, well, probably now, no, but in the cons- in the in the consumer space, I think that there is a winner takes all atmosphere. But in the B two B space, I don't think that's the case anyways. In any way, so and we find that okay, they're 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 doing. And by the way, I have to thank Welcome for a lot of their marketing because we were piggybacking on top of that. And a lot of our customers came as uh, you know they they saw Walk Me, they saw their pricing, they look for competitors, and they found Iridize. So it. It helped us, and I, yeah, I think I just believe that there is room for more than one company, and I, I think I was right. <laughs> for sure. Did you raise money? No, never. You never raised investment capital? No. Well, it's partly true. So when I founded my company with my co-founder, Oded, both of our parents, my father and his father, um, well, both, let's, both of the families, uh, put in some money. Um, at the time, Oded was doing his PhD and I was still working in RSA. Um, so we used the money to uh, write down the architecture and design for the system and we paid the freelancer to build, to build it. And... Uh, I don't, again, I don't remember the timing, but uh, when, when, when we felt that this was ready and we felt that, okay, now would be the time to start working full-time on it, then I left RSA, Oded was finished with his PhD, and, and we started working full-time. What's Oded's last name? Ben David. How did you guys divide your responsibilities? Two founders starting a company. Uh, I don't think we ever did. So it was just like uh, I was the CEO, he was the CTO, and I think that we came to this conclusion just because 
I hope he wouldn't be mad at me, but it's obvious that he cannot be CEO. So it was kind of like my thing. And, uh, but we were both highly technical. We both came from, well, we were friends from Kohav Yair, but we both serve in Shmone Matai. We were both uh, uh, programmers and it was not about like, I'm more of a manager type, so I will be the CEO. It, I guess we just... I think I'm more managerial than him, so we decided that obviously a company... It's all relative, see, right? It's yeah, all relative in terms a of... A company that. needs a CEO, so that would be me, but uh, it's really... It was really like... And we did everything together until we separated. So you basically self-funded. You know, family is pretty much, yeah. you know, dead. You got a product off to, um, designed and, and deployed... And when did you begin seeing revenues? When, when did you first sell us? So when we had the prototype ready and up and running, I would, as the CEO, I would go. So I went into LinkedIn and I looked for Israeli startups. Uh, our, first, uh, our first business proposition, and this obviously changed, was to provide uh, uh, SaaS companies, so software as a service companies, with a good solution for uh, converting their free trials. So somebody would log in, give their email, they would see the application for the first time, and Iridize would be the perfect solution to show them around the application, show what it can do for them, and hopefully get some traction for our customer. And as a result, the user would, be, would start paying when the trial finished. Okay, so this was our first uh, offering, our first uh, business offering the first use case that we ever worked on. So as a result, we, uh, I started looking for Israeli SaaS companies um, through LinkedIn, through connections. And uh, I, managed, I managed to secure three such companies uh, with the, like, sorry, with my with my LinkedIn uh, networking, uh, I don't know how to call it. Okay. And um, they were our first uh, paying customers and uh, obviously we didn't have revenues by then, but we had profits. When did you begin to hire up more people? I mean, if you had no revenues or very little revenues coming in. I think that for the first two years at least, we, we didn't take any salary, neither Odette nor myself. When we did start, it was very small and it was always about uh, letting the company grow. Three years after we started, we landed a pretty big deal, like uh, 100K annual, annual subscription. And this is when we actually, I think, if I remember correctly, we started taking some salary, but most of the, most of the money that we got from that was to uh, hire Oded, which again is still with the, another Oded, which is still with uh, Iridize, Oded Ilan this time. And he was our first uh, real sales guy. Like he, he managed, he was our CMO. He managed the sales and the marketing. And um, he, he is really the one to thank for the shift that we did from uh, SaaS companies to the enterprise market and to employee training, which is really what Oracle bought in the end. So instead of... Uh, Instead of uh, helping SaaS companies in their uh, free trial conversion, we started uh, training, doing employee training. So uh, giving 
giving enterprises the ability to train their employees quickly and efficiently so that they would not they would be productive sooner rather than later and uh, it was a much better deal because a enterprises have much more money uh, b uh, they don't close like SaaS startup companies every Monday so uh, like a lot of our companies would start and uh, either they would not have the money to pay us what we wanted or they would pay and then close so uh, targeting enterprises was a much better idea <laughs> and how did sales go I mean you, you, you pivoted from being as you just mentioned selling to SaaS to, to, to employee training How, did, how quickly did that ramp up in terms of, you know, you realizing, yeah, this is where we should be? So I think it was a one-year process. Um, from, I guess, yeah, from the time I joined, uh, learning the product, us figuring out, it was a, like, it was a group effort, right? It wasn't just Odette saying, okay, we should target enterprise. Obviously, it was a thing that grew up and cooked inside our heads and, uh, Because we saw that the SaaS companies were closing and they were not able to pay and there was no person in the SaaS company that could manage Iridize because you have to be with the training uh, state of mind in order to use such a thing and you have to have the capacity to uh, you have to have the capacity to work on it. And if you're a product manager for a startup that's worried about free trial, you normally are just in the There are always fires that you need to turn to turn out survival and, mode yeah yeah and there was never a time to work on iridize um, and our successful SaaS customers were such that there were big companies and that had the training department and this this cooked the thing for us to okay maybe we need to look for training departments in companies so we targeted medium to small medium to large companies And then we said, okay, if we're training these medium to large companies, maybe we need to train employees instead. And, uh, and it was a one-year process because you have to uplift your website, you have to rewrite all of your blog posts to, instead of talking about free trial, you need to start talking about employee conversion and, uh, and uh, 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 I don't remember the term turnover, employee turnover, mm -hmm. and uh, all of these things. And uh, from uh, f uh, the, the benefits need to be now employee training and, and support, uh, lower support costs because uh, an employee would call the company help desk and it would waste his time. And so this was the, it was a, It took us, I think, one year until we started landing uh, these uh, bigger companies. And uh, this is where things started to take off, which is, I think, six years after we started. So, <laughs> hey, you know what? All good things take time. Think, looking back and thinking about how you executed your business plan, it's inevitable that you encountered serious barriers to the growth of your business and to the ultimate success. When you think about that, what were some of the biggest barriers that you faced and had to overcome? Just resources. I mean, we, we never had enough people. And you have, to, you have to remember that at the same time that we're, 
When Iridize was, was sold to Oracle, we were just eight people. Wow. Okay. And at the same time, you have this company called WalkMe that are raising and raising and raising and raising money. There were, I think now they're probably close to 1,000 employees, definitely over 500. And we just had to, we just have to push hard and make it. And, uh, and it's, it was always, resources was always our biggest concern. And um, I, I think that thanks to the, the architecture and the product that we build, we were able to provide and an even better service than WalkMe to the customers that chose to work with us. When you thought about selling, were you approached or were you actively trying to, to shop the company? When we finally started to see the switch to, to enterprise working for us, we landed big deals with Visa, with uh, DHL and, uh, and Oracle. So Oracle was our customer before they decided to buy us. And uh, I think that that was the thing. So when, when Oracle saw that it's working for them internally, they used it internally, by the way, for their sales force. And when they saw that it's working, I think that this is when they approached us to purchase the company. When you went through that process, obviously it's... Uh, you mean the acquisition? The acquisition M&A? process, correct, with, with Oracle. So obviously it's a little bit bittersweet. You know, you see WalkMe growing at crazy rates and raising a ton of money. Um, you're, you're beginning to get real traction. DHL, Oracle, these are, these are huge companies. What made you decide at that point that putting this in the hands of a, of a, of a company like Oracle would be best? I think it was a combination of things. Uh, I think that... Um, Number one, I think that after seven years of pushing through, I felt that it was it was a good exit to, you know, not just from a monetary perspective, but also to cool down a little bit. Um, I also think that the fact that Oded, uh, as a co-founder, left, uh, I felt that this would be a good time to, you know, even things out and move on to the next thing. And... Um, I think that I also really, uh, through the talks, I really shared, and I still share the vision that Oracle had, uh, Oracle University have had for the product. So it was a combination of all of those things, I think. So you did the deal, you're now at Oracle, you're vice president there. How's that been going for you? Good, good, very excited. Again, uh, very exciting. Again, uh, I really, (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if I changed or if it's a different corporation, but I'm very well, I'm to, to date, I'm very much okay with all of the corporate America type of things that pushed me away when I was in RSA. Um, I really, I think that the product vision, I, I'm, I really like where we're taking Iridize now to the next levels, to the next generation. And it's very it's great to see that it's being uh, uh, consumed and uh, integrated into the bigger Oracle, into such a big company and being used by a lot of its customers. 
and not having the stress of having to get resources and worry yeah. about, you know, all the administrative things that startups have to worry about. Exactly. I imagine that's been a, a big plus. Um, looking back at this, uh, at this process of building your own company, if there was one thing that you could have done differently over the last seven, eight years since you, uh, since you launched it, what would it be? never thought about that. I guess I'm always, I'm not, I guess I'm an optimistic guy. I like to, I mean, I look at the bright side of life and I just, uh, I never really thought about what I would do differently. Let, let me, let me, let me re rephrase it. Maybe what did you learn over the course of the last seven years and, and going through this process that in retrospect, you know, should you at some point in the future want to launch another startup, you would apply there. It would probably sound a little bit kitschy, but I think I learned that you have to believe in yourself uh, because all throughout this process, we would never get, we, we, did, we were not successful in getting any investments and uh, it was very hard for us to push, to always push forward and grow our business. And uh, I think that, uh, and, and there were, I mean, people all around you are all about, uh, you know, how come you're not getting an investment? Why are you not getting an investment? How are you going to succeed without an investment? And it was really up to, I really had to, I don't know how I did it, but I really had to just keep on moving. That, that's the bottom line. And, uh, and believe that even without the investment, we can make it work. So that's one thing. And the second thing I think is uh, perseverance, I guess, just to, again, keep, keep, keep on moving. Don't let, because it's a, it's a roller coaster. You have up and downs and everything like you would sign a big deal and then somebody would uh, decide to uh, stop using your service or it's always like these ups and downs and you have to keep on pushing and keep on believing and I don't know, I guess I, doesn't sound very, uh, um, it sounds kitschy, I guess, but that's the truth. I'll tell you why I don't think it is. It's not because too often we have entrepreneurs who have built businesses that it, when you raise real money, it becomes a, a lot easier because a lot of the stresses of finances, you know, can suffocate businesses not having that financing really tests the character of not just you as a, as a, as a co-founder, but of your team, the other seven or eight people who, who work with you and being able to produce under those environments is very difficult and much more difficult than companies who can go out and raise yeah. you know, money right and left. So that's actually, you know, really, uh, really interesting. And, and I think really interesting story and, and, and a great success. Um, a couple of more questions. Looking at your career today, where you are, where you've been, and where ultimately you're going, what motivates you? I, I would say that I want what I'm working on to be successful, but then you're going to ask what would make it successful. So uh, <laughs> You're getting to know me very well, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I guess that with Iridize, I really what pushed me was really the the belief that there is a way to help people use the web, like learn how to use the web in a way that's not uh, like uh, intensive on uh, 
support and make make things more intuitive and uh, now I'm in when I'm in Oracle I'm more it's making it's making the life of the of an employee uh, who has to cope with a plethora of uh, like applications that they need to use on a daily basis on a day-to-day basis and it's uh, letting them have a a good experience with those applications and letting them do their work as opposed to successfully use the application, right? So take the take their effort from using the application successfully and putting it into doing the things that they really need to do, whether it's selling or uh, financing the company or whatever it is. And um, I guess I want to make an impact for, for these people to make, uh, to make the life of Oracle employees better and the Oracle customers, the employees of Oracle customers' lives easier as they use the Oracle applications and other applications as well. Did Erudize retain its name or did they fold you into to Oracle? Uh, if you log into our site, it says Oracle plus Erudize now. I think that at some point along the way, we will change the name. In, inside Oracle, it's called uh, Oracle Guided Learning, which is, okay. a, which is a good name. How'd you go with the name Erudize? That's so funny. Uh, we... So it's two things. Uh, we were look. Odette and I were looking for a, a dot com uh, name that was still open, and I have to give credit to Odette Ben David for that. He came up with. Uh, he saw that Iridize was open. Now I don't know how he came up with Iridize, but we felt that it was a good because Iridize is a verb in English. If you don't know, it's uh, to make something glow. And it, we felt it was kind of cool that uh, we're making the web glow and uh, we're making applications glow. And uh, so this is how it stuck. One final question um, about Israel. So, you know, obviously you had some experience overseas as a, as a young teenager. Uh, so you have perhaps, you know, multiple angles in, in, in seeing this. But what is it about Israel that creates entrepreneurs like like yourself and other successful entrepreneurs at a rate that's obviously much much greater than probably anywhere else in the face of the earth. Couple of things, well, more than a couple. I think that the army, like Shmone Matayim, is obviously a good uh, good uh, uh, stepping stone for these things because, as I said, you are faced with these problems and uh, nobody knows the solution, and you just have to figure it out. And um, so that's one thing. Just be, be, being alone in your quest to solve a problem is really what entrepreneurship is all about. So a lot of people do that in their service in the army, in the intelligence uh, section at least. And this gives them, uh, not to mention the fact that some of them actually work on things that would make sense in the real world, like, for example, Checkpoint, right? So... It's okay, so we did something similar. We see the we see how we can use this in the corporate uh, landscape, and we, we're doing it. Uh, another thing I think is the Israeli mentality, because obviously not a lot of entrepreneurs serve in uh, the intelligence force. I think that Israelis are very 
you know, it's chutzpe, not taking no for an answer, quick gratifications. Like we don't have the patience to wait for something. So if we don't, if it's not working the way that it's supposed to, we try to find another way, hence innovation, right? So we find another way to make something work. Yeah, I guess it's uh, obviously there are so bad, bad parts to that. But uh, as far as innovation is concerned, I think it's a good thing. Just not, not, yeah, not taking no for an answer. And, uh... One last question. What is the one question entrepreneurs should ask themselves before they launch a business based on your experience? I don't know if it's the one question, but a lot of people come up with ideas and they ask me about their ideas. So I think that the first thing that you need to do is to really search the web to see if like what you're trying to do is not already out there. And obviously, Eridize was not the first company to do things, but we already started. So if you're starting something new and you're looking for and, and you want to start in this thing, then it's good to... If somebody is doing something similar, that's great, but you have to find your niche and your differentiation uh, before you begin. And another thing which when I always talk to people, I always find that they're they're thinking what like they're stuck on the vision and they forgetting that they need to get there with baby steps and they're always forgetting like what would be the MVP, like the minimum viable product. And when they think that they know what the MVP is, it's still like this very complex system that is integrating in like 50 different things into one. So I always give the advice to really try to like really, really minimalize, like maybe like even doing without any computer programming, like if you can ask, like mimic the thing that the computer would do and have a conversation with the person, then I would try doing that first and uh, really, really cut down all of the integrations and all of the complexity and try to really minimize something that you can potentially sell. Eyal Levinson, thank you very much for your time. This was great. Um, fascinating how you, how you built the business and the lessons you learned, it's a different path that you took than a, yeah. than a traditional entrepreneur. And that's, that to me is, is, is really interesting. And, um, and thank you for your time today. And, and uh, obviously I wish you a tremendous amount of luck at Oracle as you continue to build this and see the fruits of your passion and, and all the efforts that you put in for so many years. But uh, thank you. Thank you, it was a pleasure. You've been listening to Startup Stories from the Startup Nation. I'm the host, Yigal Marcus. The associate producers are Moshe Raps and Avi Machlis. The assistant producer is Rachel Zak. And the senior research analyst is Lior Leben. If you have a successful startup in Israel you'd like featured on the show, please email us at startupstoriesisrael at gmail.com. And you can now visit our brand new website, www.startupstoriesisrael.com, where you'll find our growing list of podcasts with some of Israel's most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders. A big shout out to my employer, Alliance Bernstein, for being incredibly supportive of this initiative. Please remember to rank us on your favorite podcast network and to share these stories with your friends and family. Until next time, thank you for listening.